following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Okay, good morning. Welcome, and we're glad you're here. Uh, um, Just a little bit of an announcement before we jump into Scripture. Um, I know churches all over the world are having to cancel services. Um, We're hoping not to have to do that for a lot of reasons. Uh, One, it is different here the way it's working. However, if the Thai government says we can't have public meetings, we don't don't want to be disrespectful. Uh, If that happens, just so you know, we will still broadcast on Facebook. Um, And so if you don't know how to find that, CCF has a Facebook page. Um, I can't really help you, but talk to your children. <laughs> they'll, they'll tell you how to do it. Um, it. It's also helpful if you sign up for the um, CCF announcements if you're not signed up for that, because we'll have news and information. But uh, we'll broadcast that so you can still worship with your family at home. Um, okay. Um, we're going to look this morning uh, appropriate passage about being worried. We don't have anything to worry about, do we? No. Uh, so let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses uh, 19 through 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other... Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Um, 
certainly, I say a little facetiously, that in the current uh, affair of things, there there is plenty of things to worry about, right? And uh, all around us is bad news. And if you don't read the news, all you have to do is just drive here this morning through the air that's so thick you could like cut it with a knife, right? Um, plenty of things to worry about. Uh, will I get coronavirus? Will it kill me? Um, will, will I get stuck in Thailand and not be able to leave or get stuck somewhere else and not be able to get back, right? Um, you know, will, will all this uh, have, uh, and it is having, global financial impact? Will that impact me, right? Like what happens when all these churches that support us stop meeting on Sunday mornings and they don't take offerings anymore? Uh, who's gonna, who do you think is going to be the first uh, one they're going to cut? Their mortgage payment or their missionary? Okay, I'm telling you, you should start worrying now. <laughs> right? Lots to worry about. And you know, the good news is you can survive the coronavirus and in Thailand just, you know, get poisoned by the toxic air. It's all good news, right? Uh, on top of that, you may be dealing with personal struggles that the world doesn't know about in your own life, right? Um, and we all know that worry, like we all know, and we're, we're real clear about this thing that the Bible says we're not supposed to worry. So uh, we know we shouldn't. Uh, but honestly, when, when uh, things get to a certain point and we feel like we are out of control, it's, it's, it's hard just to say, well, I'm just not going to worry, right? Uh, when it's in our face constantly. Well, Jesus knew that uh, these concerns about daily life were a real part of life. And he's not insensitive to, uh, to, to the worries that, that we face in any age and any time. And so he addresses worry. Uh, the context here is primarily worry about, about, about material possessions, about money, uh, about wealth. And when we read through this, we may not really be able to identify. It's like, you know, they were worried about clothes. They didn't have to deal with the coronavirus, Right. Well, well um, to put it in perspective and to, to, to see kind of how they would have seen this, for them, things like food and clothes were not as taken for granted as we take it. Right? These were not small things for these people. A lot of people in Jesus' day lived on subsistence wages. In other words, they got enough wages to buy just enough food for that day. So if they couldn't work one day, they would go without food. I mean, this was important, you know, a big deal for them. Uh, the people that Jesus is talking to, a lot of them own one coat. Like, how many coats do you own, right? And you live in a place where you don't even need them. You got, who needs coats here, right? And we've got closets full of clothes. And we can go buy all kinds of used clothes. Well, in, in Jesus' day, clothes were difficult. And it was, uh, in Israel, it could be cold in the winter, it could snow. And if you didn't have that one coat, uh, you were in risk of, of death, right? So it wasn't a small thing. So when, they, when he talks about worrying about what clothes you would wear, it's not like we think about it, we're like, well, you know, today I've only got seven blue dresses to choose from, or I've only got 13 nice shirts to choose from. I don't, I'm almost out, right? No, for them, like, they mean, like this was life and death issues. And, and for them, when he talks about their treasures, we think, well, you know, they were just being greedy. No, their treasures were their safety net, in a time when they didn't have banks, they didn't have savings accounts, and they didn't have health insurance policies and life insurance policies, this is how they hedged against disasters in the future. 
Right? So this is not a small thing that, uh, that we think, well, you know, they shouldn't have been hoarding anyway. Right? This, this is what we do. We just do it in a different form. Right? We have health insurance and we stock up savings and we, uh, we have the same things. They're just in a different format. So the things that Jesus is talking about are very relevant to us. It's worry about the, the life-threatening problems that we face that we feel um, put us in danger, right? Things like viruses and pollution and uh, world economies, right? He's talking about these kind of things. And he says that we shouldn't be worrying about these things. Uh, but he actually does not quite say that. He says, don't, don't worry. But he identifies clearly that the real problem is not just worry. And Jesus does not say here, just stop worrying. Like, just chill. Right? That's not what he says. What he says actually is this. He says, the real problem is not worry. The real problem is one of our devotion and commitment. Okay? Jesus links worry with being devoted to the wrong things being committed in the wrong direction, living our life for the wrong priorities, is that's what causes you to have a life full of worry and anxiety. And he says the, the cure is to change our focus. Right? Uh, if, we are, if we are feeling worry, if we are feeling anxiety, and we'll talk a little bit more about like, how that plays out, maybe some uh, anxiety isn't good, uh, but if we're overly worried, it's a sign that we're devoted to the wrong things. We're living with our life uh, with the wrong. We're living life with the wrong focus. We've devoted our energy and resources to the wrong direction and the wrong purpose and goals, and we're living with the wrong priorities. And, and Jesus lays that out in this passage, and we'll, we'll kind of break it down as we go. But I want to just make that point up front. He says, "Worry is a sign that your commitments are wrong, and your devotion is in the wrong place." And Jesus makes it clear in this passage, as we will see, that the life of disciple is to be, as I called the, 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 the sermon this morning, it's a one-track life. Right? We are called as disciples to be 100% devoted and committed to Jesus. There is no such thing as saying, uh, come to Jesus, come become a Christian, live a fully worldly life, and just tack Jesus on as some kind of accessory. Okay? Sadly, that's nowhere in the Bible. Um, in fact, Jesus is very clear that if you want to be a true follower of Jesus, if you want to really be in the kingdom, it requires 100% commit, commitment and devotion to him. You can't have both. We may say, well, why can't, we, why can't I have both? I don't get it. Like, why can't I have Jesus and enjoy the material wealth and comfort of life here and, and be fully in the world? Why can't I have both? Well, I think it's a fair question. Why can't we have both, Right. Uh, why is it we have to be so exclusive in our devotion to Jesus? Why does he demand so much? And one answer could be, well, he's just selfish and, you know, he just says, just deal with it. You've know, you got to commit to me. And so if you don't like it, tough, just suck it up and do it or leave, right? But that's not what he says here, actually. He says, yes, following me demands 100% commitment, but it's not random or arbitrary. There's good reasons. In fact, in these reasons, as Jesus will show us, makes really good sense why it must be this way, why life only works this way, and why it is actually a much better way. Right, so let's uh, jump in, and hopefully it will help us relieve some of our worries. 
and uh, get the right perspective uh, that Jesus has for us here. Uh, so, so first let's talk about this piece of absolute devotion. In this uh, account, Jesus basically gives, gives four pictures or four illustrations that talk about the same thing. And it is about being fully devoted to Christ, about how following him requires all-out commitment. And so the first picture he gives us is one of a uh, treasure. Uh, he says, if you want to be in the kingdom, you can't have treasures in this world and treasures in heaven. He says, he says no, he says, you need to... Do not lay up for yourselves. Do not treasure up or store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But treasure up uh, or store up treasures in heaven. And I use the word treasure up there because in the Greek it's the same word. Treasure treasures. Treasure up, store up treasures. Right? Uh, in heaven where, where moth does not, moth and rust don't destroy and where thieves will not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Uh, worldly treasure, uh, as Jesus is describing it here, is wealth. Uh, the things that buy us comfort and ease and security here and now. So actually, he's talking about not just uh, excessive uh, luxury, but he's really talking about the things that, uh, that, that buy us security here and now. The things that make life comfortable, and of course that make life easy and make life good. A nice house, a new car, the best smartphone, or maybe any smartphone. Uh, all the toys and gadgets we fill our life with. That's what he's talking about, earthly treasures. Uh, it's the things that we hold on to that can and will pass away and be destroyed. Right? The things that will not endure and last forever. Uh, now, before everybody freaks out and goes, is Jesus saying we have to throw away our, our, our smartphones? Well, maybe, but maybe not, okay? But we'll get there in a minute. But he's talking about these kinds of things, temporary things that break, that wear out, that are prone to destruction. Okay? Um, uh, your cell phone, you know, your battery in it will not last forever. Uh, your car, it, I had to change my battery in my car this week. It doesn't last forever either, apparently. In fact, in my truck, it lasts 18 months, like clockwork. And they're way too expensive to only last 18 months. It's like, what is the deal with that? Um, and he, opposed, he contrasts that with heavenly treasures. And he, heavenly treasures are by nature not of this earth. They are not material. They are not physical. They are eternal. And it's things like Jesus himself. Jesus ought to be our greatest treasure. Our relationship with him, the fact that we can know him and be in him, is an amazing treasure. Our relationship with God, who is our Father. And all the spiritual blessings that come through Jesus and his saving work. We don't have time, but go read Ephesians chapter 1. All the blessings we have, spiritual blessings we have, in Christ in the heavenly places. Amazing things, our inheritance, who we are in Christ. And these are things that cannot uh, be destroyed. Uh, the battery will never run out on your relationship with Jesus, right? You're never going to have to replace it. You're never going to run out of memory or RAM in your relationship with God the Father, right? Uh, they last forever. The fruit of the Spirit and a life that is bearing fruit. Jesus says, I've uh, called you to bear fruit and fruits that last forever, right? So the good things that produce out of our life, that's the treasures he's talking about. Right, so does this mean we cannot follow Jesus and own an iPhone or a decent house or own a car? No, that's not what he's saying here. <laughs> Good thing, right? 
Uh, we're all off the hook there. And, but here's what we want to do, right? We want to we excuse it and say, well, I can just go back to living my life the way I did before because that's really not what he's talking about. What is he talking about? Well, he's talking here is not so much what you own, but what you treasure. What you look to for security in your life, right? What you look to to give you meaning and purpose in life. What you value most in life. What you treasure. What you cherish. Uh, what you hold on to with great love and affection. He says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Right? So, so it means the things that we treasure are the things that hold our heart, our affections, our desires, and our commitments. We're committed to those things, to protecting them, and to guarding them, and to holding on to them. Uh, so, so here's a simple question. If you had to choose between Jesus and your stuff, what would it be? Okay, I know the answer to this. I went to Sunday school. God, Jesus, or the Bible. It's one of those, right? Yeah, Jesus, right? Like, certainly, if I had to choose myself in, in Jesus, or my, I would choose Jesus, right? Amen? We would all do that, right? Here's the catch, though. Here's the catch. That's super easy to say when you already have all the stuff and you don't actually have to give it up, right? It's easy to say, well, of course I would choose Jesus, right? Until what? Until it gets put to the test, right? Until a coronavirus comes around and turns the world upside down, and all of a sudden we really do have to actually choose between Jesus and stuff. What do you choose, right? And see, that's why these tests are hard for us, because it will show our true loyalties and devotions. Right? Uh, we will see quickly what we really love and what we really live for when things start to get stripped away, when things get hard, and we ha- when we start having to make difficult choices, right? And, and so he says, uh, where is your heart? What do you really love and hold on to and care about? Right? Uh, you can't love both. And that's the point he's making here is you can't love both. It's impossible. You can't love the things of this world that will be destroyed and love heavenly things at the same time. You have to choose between which you live for. And and we can see this coming soon in the world where these choices get really pointed and really real. Am I going to choose an eternal path or am I going to go the route of holding on to the things that I think will save me here and now? That's what he's saying. Um. And, and that's why the real issue here is not worry in itself. It's, it's what are we committed to? Right? What are we loyal to? What do we love? The second picture is, is one of vision. And this one's a little harder for us to understand because we just don't think about our eye in this way. But he says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Um, that's hard for us because we don't really think of our eyes being a lamp. Uh, we don't, we don't uh, in our scientific point of view, there's nothing about this that, that just makes sense to us. Um, but but I'm, I, I'd encourage you to think a little more poetically and a little less literally. Uh, and, and just imagine that our eyes really are a kind of gateway or a lamp or a window in which uh, the inner world of our heart and mind and life interacts with the outer world around us, right? And so it has to do with how we, how we see the world. 
right? How things come into our mind through our eyes and how we interpret the world around us. Uh, in a sense, he's talking really here about two different worldviews. Right? The way we call it, a worldview is what? It's a view of how we see the world, how we look at uh, circumstances in life around us. And we know that uh, two people can look at the exact same situation but see it very differently. Right? My, my wife and I are a perfect example of this. It's just about everything in our life. We, see, we live the same exact life, but man, we see it two very different ways. Like, completely different, right? Like, sometimes we can't even agree on, like, the basic colors of things. Um, just, like, night and day, right? And, and that's because we are seeing through different eyes, right? The lamp of our eye is different. So we could look at things like, uh, uh, you know, the, half, the, the, the whole glass, half empty, half full thing, right? Two people can look at the exact same cup of water, and one person says it's half full, the other says it's, it's half empty, right? Uh, it's the way you see it, right? It's the way your eyes focus and how you interpret what you see. Um, you can look at things like the coronavirus, right? Uh, you can't travel, can't meet, you know, you have to lock yourself in your room. The extrovert sees this as a sentence to prison that is wrong and terrible and the end of the world. The introvert sees this now as the world how it should always be. Like, finally, like the way it should be. Everybody just stays to themselves. Right? Okay, it's all how you see it. Um, so, so the eye represents how you choose to look at the world. The, if you will, a, a better analogy for us might be the lens you look through, the worldview you look through to interpret life. Um, and he says that if the eye is good, and literally the word there means single, if the eye is single, uh, is the most common way that word is translated. We're focused on one thing, and that, that is the right thing. And here, of course, it will be God, his kingdom, his purpose, and his righteousness. Interestingly, the word also can mean, uh, in addition to meaning single, in other places it clearly uh, has the meaning of being generous, which in this context where it's talking about money and wealth and hoarding and all that sort of thing, uh, that, that, that's an interesting uh, possibility for this word. If your eye sees the world around you, and it's, and it's not selfish, but it's generous. It sees people, and it sees the problems in the world as opportunities to serve and to give, and to show compassion to people in need. That's one way of looking at the world. But if your eye is bad, it's an eye that, uh, that is uh, uh, stingy, it's hoarding, it's selfish. It sees the world around us, and all it sees is fear and worry and how I have to protect myself, rather than love and serve. Um, so, so it has this idea of what you focus on, on, on either God and his word and his, his way, or the world and its priorities and values, right? It's, how, it's what you focus on, but also it's how you see the world. Do we see the world as a place where God is in control and he is sovereign and he is good? Okay, that's, that's the good eye. Or do we see it as a place where the world is out of control and I need to do something about it, right? And I've got to... I've got to I've got to save myself. I've got to save up. I've got to take care of me. Right? Um, and the point is, your eye can't be both. Right? You can't see the world both ways at the same time. You pick one or the other. Either the world is a terrible place that's falling apart and we all need to buy more toilet paper. Or you, you see that God's in control. And that he, he's known everything from the beginning to the end and he's got it in his hands. And, and it's going to be okay. We're going to be okay in his hands, right? 
You can't see it both ways. Uh, you have to pick one or the other. Right? The third picture is one of, 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 of who's our boss, who's our master. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Uh, again, this is probably easier for us. We, we do kind of have this idea that you can't work for two, two bosses. If you, some of you have been in a job where you had one job, but two bosses, you ever been there? It's a nightmare, right? Because you can never make them both happy. Uh, and, and that's why organizations need to make sure that people only work for one person. Because otherwise it gets very confusing. Because when the demands of this boss and the demands of this boss conflict, they both say you have to work on Friday. And, 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 uh, you work for, and they both say, I want you to work for me on Friday. You have to pick. Which one do I follow? Right? I can't do both. You have to be devoted to one, be loyal to one, uh, or, and reject the other, or, de- or devoted to this one and reject that one. By the way, the word here, love and hate, is a good example in the Scripture. The idea of love and hate has to do with choosing, not about emotions. So it means when I love this boss, it means I, I do what he says, and when I hate this boss, it means I'm not choosing him. Right? That's kind of the picture in Scripture of love and hate. It's, it's a choosing between one over the other. So I'm choosing, and, and, and the reality is, you can't have two masters. Right? You can't. You must choose one or the other. And, and, and Jesus says, uh, the masters he's talking about, the ones that rule and govern and control over your life is either God and his kingdom or the world system, money. The word literally is mammon. And mammon uh, can mean money, but it's much broader. It represents all of our daily bread or daily needs. Right? Uh, that is, do I let my needs and wants, all of them, control my life? Be the master of my life? Do I live based on my worries about what's going to happen next and what I'm going to do about it? Or do I let God be the Lord and Master over my life and I, let, I, I follow Him, I trust Him, I obey Him? All right. Then the fourth picture is uh, all the way down towards the end of the chapter, verse 33. Uh, uh, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Um, the last choice, last picture is which kingdom we live in. Right? Uh, now, the word seek first can kind of give the idea that what he's talking about is like this checklist of priorities. And like kingdom of God is very first on the list, so when I check that off, then I can go down to the next thing, which is what I want to do. Right? And so we can kind of do it that way. So like uh, go to church Sunday morning, uh, check the box. The rest of the day I can do whatever I want. Right? That's not actually what he means here. Right? That's not that's what he pictures. He's picturing a kingdom in which it has control over your whole life. And if you're in a kingdom, you're in the kingdom. You're under the rule of that king. You do what that king says all the time. Right? Not just, you just check it off. Right? You're either in the kingdom or you're not. Right? Which kingdom are you choosing to live in? God's kingdom or the world's kingdom? Uh, you must choose. You cannot have both. It is impossible to have both. Uh, you have to choose. And which one is taking priority over our life? Uh, as we've said before, kingdom is the idea of not a place as much as it is the rule of Christ over my life. Who is telling you what to do? Who is ruling and governing over you? Um, 
It's either Jesus or else it's something else. Yourself, uh, your circumstances, the world, other ideas, other masters, your addictions, whatever. Um, or it's Jesus, right? Who is ruling over your life? Um, and, and Jesus wants exclusive reign and control over you. He doesn't want to share you with anybody else. Right? Uh, he wants full loyalty and devotion to his kingdom. All right, so, so you get the picture. In all four of these, what Jesus is saying is that he demands 100% devotion and commitment to him. To be a follower of Christ is to devote yourself 100% to him. Period. Right? Now, of course, it is a daily struggle. And every day we make these choices. And we may do better some days than others. We may... We may live up to this some ways better than others, and certainly we all always fail and fall. Um, but, but, but what do we come back to? Right? Do we come back to confession in a place of recommitting our life to, to Christ, to following Him all out? Right? Or are we trying to do this crazy thing where we're trying to live in two worlds, where we, we give lip service to our devotion to Christ, and we say you know He's important, but with the way we live our life is very contrary to that. It's very different. We live our life in a way that shows we're really in the world, right? We are not truly following Christ. And Jesus says that this is not possible. If that's the case, then you've chosen the world as your master, right? And, and so there will be problems. Um, and, and what Jesus says here, uh, as, he, as he talks about this, is he's not just saying that I just demand that and, and you're, you know, you're a loser if you don't do what I say. That's not what he's saying. But he actually says this is the way that life works best. Right? So let's go back and look at these real briefly uh, and, and see how Jesus says, look, this choosing Jesus just makes a lot better sense. From a very practical point of view, choosing to commit yourself to Christ is a good thing. And it's the best thing. And, and Jesus is really making an argument here for why would you choose anything different? Right? To choose differently is just foolishness. Because choosing Jesus really is the best. The best. Right? So let's look at how he says that. First off, it is the best because it is pursuing an eternal treasure. And that's what he says. He says, uh, uh, why would you lay up for yourself treasures on earth Treasures that cannot and will not last. Why would you do that? I'm offering you an eternal treasure. Right? Following me means that you won't ever lose what you invest in. I don't know if any of you have money in the stock market. <laughs> well, or you should say had money in the stock market, right? Uh, as boom, just like that, and in a few days, vast thousands, well, overall trillions of dollars were lost to somebody, right? Um, boom, it's gone, right? Jesus says, why, why would you treasure those things where moth and rust and rats and, and, and thieves and, and global economies, all that, and, and ultimately death will, will strip it away. And here's the truth. Even if you can hang on to all that stuff, even if you can hold on to treasures that, that can't be stolen on this earth or somehow you've got them secured so well, um, when you die, you lose it all, right? Uh, you know, the, the famous saying, nobody has a U-Haul trailer behind their hearse, right? Um, you don't get to take any of it with you. You lose it all on death. But heavenly treasure is eternal. Uh, you have it now, 
It cannot be stolen. It cannot be affected by the stock market. And when you die, this treasure becomes a gain, not a loss. Right? You only take greater possession of it when you die. Uh, why would you live? Jesus says, why would you live for what you're going to lose? Right? That just makes no sense. So, so put your heart in things that will last, that are eternal. D.A. Carson puts it this way, it is a poor bargain which exchanges the eternal for the temporal, regardless of how much tinsel is used to make the temporal more attractive. My image glitz it up. It, it's, it's, it's perishing, right? And more than that, it's not just a question of, of these rewards, but it's, it's a question of um, the reality that these things we treasure actually govern our lives, right? And Jesus says when you live for earthly treasures, when you hold on too closely to this stuff, if you're going to worry. <laughs> Guaranteed, you are going to worry and you cannot escape it, right? Your life is going to get eaten up with worry because these things are going to govern your lives. They're going to control how you live. And when there's threat that these things are going to be stripped away or that you're going to die, uh, you're going to go into panic mode or you're going to do crazy things and stock up on un- unrealistic amounts of toilet paper. <laughs> um, and I, I'm sorry, I just think that's funny. Hopefully you didn't do that. If you did, I'm really sorry. I'm making fun of you. But I just think, I just think it's really... Crazy, but that's what happens, right? When your treasure's in this world, you do crazy things like that. And it's a mark of, uh, of the fear that cannot help but grip your life, right? And Jesus says, I mean, you know, here's the thing. This may sound a little harsh and crass, but the reality is you're going to die. You get to cash in on your treasure if your treasure's in heaven, right? You don't have anything to worry about or fear, you're just getting that much closer to your real treasure. Right? Nothing to worry about for us who follow Jesus. Um, second thing, when we follow Jesus, we have, we have light to see. Right? When we set our eyes on the right thing, when we have eyes that work, when our world vision is set on the Bible and on the biblical worldview that sees God as the Creator and Sovereign Lord over all things, there is light to guide and live our life. That's what he says, right? Your, your life is full of light. We, we know the way. The path before us is clear and plain. And it's a path with hope and joy, right? Uh, we, we see around us a world where there's a need for uh, compassion and generosity. And we know what we're supposed to do, right? We come to serve and to give and to bring God's love and glory and hope to a lost, fearful world. Um, we see the light around us, and so it makes us bold and not fearful. Because we know where we're going. God leads us clearly. And when the rest of the world is falling apart, uh, because they are lost and in darkness, and they are trapped in fear, and they are unable to see the path forward, we have light. We have light. And we see, and we know, right? The Spirit's leading us day by day. And, and, and we don't have to worry about the future because God is leading us step by step in the light. Right? Who would choose to live in darkness, Jesus says? Right? Why would you choose a, a path that's guaranteed darkness when I am offering you light? Right? It only makes sense to follow Jesus. Third thing, 
Uh, we do have to choose uh, our masters, and, and, and uh, it's not an option. You have to choose either God or another master. And he says, why would you choose a master other than God who has promised to take care of us? We serve a master who has promised in every circumstance to take care of us. He says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are to God? Right? Doesn't God care about you more than birds? Uh, and, and which of, of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Uh, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Right? We, we have a God who, who, who there's a couple of things about God we, we can take confidence in. First, he is more than able to take care of what he has created, what he loves. Right? Birds of the air, flowers of the field, um, they don't worry, and God takes good care of them. Right? God feeds them. Uh, People have made the observation that the birds do have to work for their food. They just don't get to sit in their nest and, like, like there's, no, there's no grab for them, right? Well, well there's a cat who's trying to grab them, uh, but there's no grab delivery, right? They've got to go actually go out and scrounge for their food, but they always find it, right? Uh, birds find their food because God provides, He supplies. Uh, but the flowers, on the other hand, uh, they, they do nothing. They don't weave, they don't spin, they don't go anywhere, they don't purchase cloth. Um, they, they just grow. And, and God says he, he, he adorns them with amazing brilliance and beauty and glory that exceeds even that of Solomon. Right? God is able to take care of those that he loves. But the point doesn't end there. The point goes one step further. Not only is he able, but it says that we are of much more value to him than birds and grass. Right? We are precious to him if we are his children. Right? If, he makes us, uh, if we make him master over our life, God cares for us. And his promise here is that if you seek his kingdom, if you choose him, if you choose him, if you put yourself under his lordship, all this stuff will be added to you. And he's going to take care of you. He's going to meet every need. And, and uh, literally this... You could take this very literally that if you seek first the kingdom of God, he'll make sure you don't starve to death and you're not naked. <laughs> okay? And for most of us, that's like, well, that's not helpful because I can do that by myself. I don't need God's help. But, but the picture is much bigger than that. The picture here is that God will supply everything you need to fulfill his call and purpose for your life. So we live in a day and an age when we need to buy plane tickets and we need to travel and we do need... Um, we do need phones, and we need computers, and we need this stuff to fulfill God's call and purpose on our life. And God's promised to provide those things to fulfill his purpose and call in your life. Right? Um, if you serve other masters, there's no guarantees. But we serve a master who has promised to take care of us. Now, if, if you're really uh, thinking through and you're a little cynical, like I sometimes am, you say, well, yeah, what about all the Christians in Africa who starved to death? Ha, huh. 
What about them, right? Well, here's the thing. Uh, God promises to take care of us, and he promises to fulfill his calling and purpose in our life. But here's the bad news. There's no guarantee that his call and purpose in your life does not involve suffering and even death. God never promised that. He never promised that you would not have hard times. He never promised that you would not get the coronavirus. You might. Um, And you might die from it. God never promised that you're going to live forever. And that you're going to be uh, immune to the suffering of the world. But what he has promised is this, that through it all, he loves you and he cares for you and he is with you and he is carrying your life through every trial and hardship. And he's going to take care of you. In life and in death, he is going to be with you. And he is never going to abandon or forsake you. So whatever happens to us, we, we have this confidence that God is with us. And, he, and Jesus challenged him. He says, oh, you of little faith. Right? And the, the idea here is not that we have a little faith compared to like Peter who had great faith. No, he's saying here, you have insufficient faith. Your faith is not enough. It's not adequate. You don't have faith at all. Right? If you don't understand how much God loves you and cares for you and that he's holding your, your life in his hands, he's got you. Right? If you commit your life to Him, He has your life. And He promises to take care of you. Right? So, so the good, here's the good news. All of your churches in the States can, can uh, you know, cut off your support. God's still got you. Right? And God knows, God knows what's going to happen before it happens. He's got it. Right? Does it mean life's going to be easy for you? Maybe not. Right? Things can get pretty hard. He's got you. And he loves you. He loves you. And he's with you. And, and the, last, the last point Jesus makes, uh, and I love this one, is that basically his last point is that, well, worry just doesn't work. Right? Worry is not going to help you at all. Right? Last verse, he says this, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. Right? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, Jesus is not actually saying that we should never worry, by the way. Uh, what he's saying this is that we, we need to limit our worry to just today. Right? And, and maybe he's saying here you should be worried about today. Right? That's where your worry should be focused on, right here and right now. What are, what's confronting you in your life right now that you need to deal with? Let's worry about those things. Because this is something we can actually do something about. Today is the moment where we can act and choose and trust God and see Him work. Right? Um, and and he's, he's not saying here that we should be careless or irresponsible or negligent. Right? He's not saying we should be stupid. Right? Use common sense, use wisdom. As, as life confronts you and there's dangers around us, take precautions against those dangers. Don't be an idiot. He's not saying, saying here, be stupid. He's just saying, don't worry. right? Don't be excessively worried. Um, and, and, and the limit of our worry should, should never go beyond this day. Because right now is the only time we can actually do anything about our worries. Uh, it's silly, he's saying, to worry about the future. Because first of all, we have no idea what the future will bring. 
Um, we, we just don't know what's going to happen in three, four, five, six months. Like, are, is the coronavirus still going to be a thing in six months, or is it going to be totally off the radar and forgotten? Well, we don't know. Right? Um, I know uh, probably right now a lot of you are thinking about your plans for you know, June, July, August. Anybody thinking about June, July, August? Like, is any, are any of you like thinking like, okay, like, are there going to be flights to anywhere? Right? Or like if I, you know, am I going to be quarantined in Thailand and they won't let me leave? Or my home country won't let me in? Or I get to my home country and they won't let me out? Or are they quarantine me for the rest of my life in my room? Right? Uh, well, we could worry about those things. But guess what? Can you do anything about any of those things? No. Right? And you don't even know. We, we can't even know what's going to be going on in six months. Jesus says, so why worry about it? Right? Why waste the energy worrying about something that you don't even know? We don't even know. Uh, but we love to do that, don't we? It doesn't mean we can't plan. It doesn't mean we can't make contingency plans or think about you know, our options. But don't worry. Right? Don't worry. Um, we, 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 we cannot do anything about it. All we can do today. We can't add one cubit to our height. Literally, probably the idea is we can't add one step to our life. We can't add one extra step by worry. But we do know that we can actually take steps away by worry, right? Um, I think the irony of all this, like coronavirus, I know there's people out there right now who are about to die of a heart attack from anxiety over the coronavirus that wouldn't actually kill them, right? Because we know worry can kill you, right? And, And so Jesus says, don't worry, right? Don't worry. Deal with today, and deal with today with faith in a God who loves you and who's in control of the world and who's got things in his hands. Right? And, and rest in him. Uh, I would add one more illustration. Jesus talks about the birds and the grass. I would add one more that Jesus couldn't talk about yet because it hadn't happened. Um, but if you doubt God's goodness and, and his intention for you, remember this. He, he gave his son his dearly loved son, as a sacrifice for our sin because he cares about you so much. Paul writes in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We have proof in God's love in that he gave Jesus. And And not just as a teacher, as a sacrifice. He died for us. If God would sacrifice his own son because of his love for us, the rest is easy. The rest is easy. He will take care of us. We we, we have that confidence. So when worry starts to plague us, uh, go to the cross. Remember what God has done for us. And and rest with confidence that he's going to take care of us. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.